0: Hey guys, we had a totally different episode planned for today, but things happened in that case very late last evening and I didn't feel like it would be appropriate for me to release the episode I had researched and recorded because it was a call to action that there's not a ton we can do now. One day we will talk about this. We did talk about it a little bit in the Big Mad group. However, right now, it just would not be appropriate to release that episode. And the ethics of true crime is so important to me. I hope you guys understand. In, instead of doing that for the holidays, I'm going to give our listeners one of the Patreon episodes that we have released to let you see what the Patreon listeners get. So. I hope you guys have an amazing holiday season. I'm going to be taking the week of Christmas off and the week of New Year's. However, of course, we'll be dropping episodes. I am going to drop a podcast episode for a podcast I think is so much fun and creative on Christmas Day. And it's going to be really appropriate to the holiday. And we'll see what happens on the first. That being said, Following that, the new year is coming with all new episodes, and I can't wait to see you guys, I guess, technically talk to you because this is a podcast. Anyways, I love you guys so much. I hope you have the best couple of weeks coming up, and eat all the food and hug all your family. I love you guys. I appreciate you more than you know. You surprise me and amaze me every single day. I am so appreciative, and I hope that you know that we are all podcast besties here. I love you so much. Okay, here's the episode. Hey everyone, and welcome back to Big Mad True Crime, where we get big mad over true crime. I'm your host, Heather Ashley, and today's case is out of Phoenix, Arizona. Small talk sucks, so let's dive in. On July 12, 2011, Phoenix police got a 911 call from a three-bedroom house in the middle of a pretty big neighborhood. It's a neighborhood police are familiar with, but the calls for service aren't usually too terrible. However, this day was different and would change the community forever. The call was for an unresponsive child. According to the incredible reporting by Sean Holstige, an officer nearby rushed to the scene and as he raced toward the front door, it swung open. He was met with a woman and a Rottweiler with a woman telling the officer, don't shoot the dog. The dog was not shot because that's not why he was there. The unresponsive child was out back, so the officer pulled some parkour to get into the backyard. He planned on doing whatever he could to save this child, but it was clear from moment one that there was nothing he could do. Members of the household were performing CPR on the child, but she was already dead and something was not right. The unresponsive child in the backyard was 10-year-old Amy Deal. She lived with various family members and a shit ton of other people. The house only had three bedrooms, but at any given time, there were 11 to 24 people living there. And no, that is not an error. Seven of those 11 to 24 residents were children, one of them being Amy. Amy's family told the police that she'd been playing hide-and-seek the night before at around 1 a.m. The family went to bed, and roughly seven hours later at 8 a.m., a three-year-old in the home found Amy dead inside of a box. When it comes to the reporting of this case, the box has been described a handful of different ways, but it's essentially a trunk, something you'd store old blankets in, maybe some sentimental stuff, the kind that when closed, you can put a padlock on it. As the story goes, at least one of the stories, Amy hid in the box during that game of hide-and-seek, and and at some point, one of the kids must have locked her inside of it. But who in the fuck has a bunch of kids playing hide-and-seek at 1 a.m.? Probably a three-bedroom house full of seven kids and 11 to 24 people, or tents littered the backyard serving as a temporary residence to an absurd amount of people, and a house littered with old tampons and cockroaches whose signature scent is urine. If you watched the coverage of this case unfolding in the news, you'd probably have heard that Amy's death was a tragic accident, that police theorized Amy could have gotten into the box, fallen asleep, and unintentionally suffocated. According to Sean Holstige, that's exactly what her 23-year-old uncle, John Allen, wrote in his journal. A family member told Fox 10 that Amy loved playing hide-and-seek and and was very good at it. Her 44-year-old aunt, Cynthia Stoltzman, who was also her legal guardian at the time, told KNXV, I don't break down well in front of other people, but when I'm by myself, I can lose it real easy. Adding, she was an awesome hider, let me tell you, There were places she would squeeze into that I didn't think my dog could squeeze into. Which already feels icky, Cynthia gave that interview just a day after the incident and was already justifying her emotional reactions to the public, who wasn't even questioning her yet. Amy had just died while playing hide-and-seek, and her aunt was bragging about her hiding skills to the news. It felt gross and misplaced, but who is anyone to judge how a family deals with their grief, right? For a couple of weeks, that was kind of it. The case seemed to disappear from the media and the story of 10 year old Amy Deal became the kind of story parents hang on to as a warning. Tell your kids to be careful, make sure they know not to hide anywhere they can't get themselves out of on their own. But Amy's death was not a cautionary tale. It was a heinous years long tragedy where she suffered daily for doing nothing more than existing. On July 27th, two weeks after Amy was found in the box, news broke that her 23-year-old cousin, Samantha Deal, and Samantha's husband, John, had been arrested. John was the one who'd written about Amy's death in his journal. Samantha and John had been taken into custody on suspicion of first-degree murder, not second-degree, first-degree. In Arizona, that means that Amy's murder was either premeditated or committed during the commission of a felony. Those charges had stemmed from a confession by both Samantha and John, who admitted that Amy had been locked in the box as a punishment for stealing a popsicle. And I hate even using the word stealing here, because the popsicle came from her house. Amy didn't steal a popsicle, she ate one. A 10-year-old was killed over a popsicle. And the perpetrators in this episode are absolute swamp-dwelling pieces of shit, as evident by their mugshots. Generally, I wouldn't insult anyone's appearance, but when you kill a kid over a popsicle, all bets are off. The mugshots of those involved look like age-progressed photos of the witch from the Emperor's new groove, and John looked like the kind of guy who'd use someone else's photo to be an asshole on the internet and then go upstairs and cry to his mom that people are mean to him. Hey guys, winter is officially here, which is nuts by the way, but this means it's officially time to start wrestling to try and figure out the right temperature to sleep at. Thankfully, I recently found a way to stay at the perfect temperature all night long using silver infused bed sheets by Miracle Made, which were interestingly enough, Inspired by NASA, using silver infused fabrics inspired by NASA, Miracle Made sheets are thermoregulating and designed to keep you at the perfect temperature all night long so you get better sleep every night. These sheets are infused with silver that prevent up to 99.7% of bacterial growth, leaving them cleaner and fresher three times longer than other sheets. No more gross odors and the germaphobe in me could not be happier, especially at this time of year. Miracle sheets are luxuriously comfortable without the high price tag of other luxury brands and feel as nice, if not nicer, than sheets used by some five-star hotels. Miracle sheets are the perfect gift for your spouse, friends, or family because really, who doesn't want a better night's sleep and luxurious-feeling bed sheets? Oh, and since these come with three free towels, you get two gifts in one just in time for the holidays. Stop sleeping on bacteria. Bacteria can clog your pores, causing breakouts and acne. Sleep clean with Miracle. Go to TryMiracle.com slash BigMad to try it today or gift it to someone special this holiday season. And we've got a special deal for our listeners. Save 40% And if you use our promo code BIGMAT at checkout, you'll get three free towels and save an extra 20%. Miracle is so confident in their product, it's backed with a 30-day money-back guarantee. So if you aren't 100% satisfied, you'll get a full refund. Upgrade your sleep with Miracle Made. Go to TryMiracle.com BigMad and use the code BigMad to claim your free three-piece towel set and save over 40% off. Again, that's TryMiracle.com BigMad to treat yourself, a friend, or a loved one this holiday season. Following Samantha and John's arrests, Amy's 44-year-old cousin, Cynthia, and her 62-year-old grandmother, Judith Deal, were also taken into custody. Their charges were for suspicion of child abuse and kidnapping. Kidnapping doesn't always mean you abducted someone. It can also mean that you impeded their ability to leave or escape. Cynthia was the sadistic son of a bitch who bragged to the media about how good Amy was at hide-and-seek and who just couldn't bring herself to break down in front of people, but she sure as shit wanted you to think that she broke down in private. Samantha and John were held on a $1 million bond, while Cynthia and Judith were held on a $500,000 bond. Not nearly enough for the torture they put this child through, but they couldn't afford a paperclip, so it sufficed. I should note that Cynthia nor Judy have been implicated in the incident that caused Amy's death, But her death was just the end of her torture. They are also monsters, and we'll get to exactly why. Once the Hills Have Eyes were in police custody, they all started telling police their own versions of the truth. The only thing they accomplished in doing so was proving that Amy never stood a chance. Of all the kids in that house, she was less than, and they made sure that she knew it. According to the Phoenix New Times, Grandma Judith told police that Amy was a sloppy little girl who didn't like to bathe, stole food, and lied. A bold and fucked up statement coming from the matriarch of the tampon and roach infested home in the middle of backyard tent city. The day Amy was killed was scorching. The kind of Arizona heat that hits you in the face when you open the door and takes your breath away. The high was 102 degrees with a low of 84. There is no solace from that kind of heat. There are only popsicles. As a punishment for the popsicle, they claim Amy stole. Reuters reports that she was forced to do unbearable exercises, which serve no moral lesson. For hours, she was made to do jumping jacks, was told to run in circles, and forced to do backbends with her back arched and feet and palms on the floor. When that wasn't enough, they forced Amy to grab the box she was killed in so they could put her in there. She climbed in as she was instructed to, and they shut the lid and put a padlock on it, then left her there overnight in the garage where there wasn't so much as air conditioning. All reports state that it was John who did the locking, but Samantha was there for the entire thing, doing nothing to stop it. When Amy brought the box to her cousins, she knew she was going to be put inside of it because that wasn't the first time she had been forced into it. It was just the last time. According to ABC15, six months prior to her death, a witness reported seeing her Aunt Cynthia put Amy into the box five times. According to AZ Central, a backyard tenant recalled hearing screaming coming from the box while Cynthia sat on top of it playing on her laptop. Why that was noted and simply walked away from is beyond me. They admitted to regularly locking her inside the box as punishment for poor behavior. Their definition of poor behavior is Amy merely existing in their vicinity. The only way Amy was able to fit into the three foot by 14 inch box was by getting into the fetal position. At 10 years old, Amy was four feet two inches tall making her 14 inches longer than the box would allow. In the position she had to take inside of it, she couldn't even use her hands to brace for impact when they would pick it up, kick it, spin it around, and roll it across the floor. When Amy was found, her clothes were dirty and soiled and she had marks on her right knee, which were attributed to forceful contact with the interior lid. Amy's only hope would have been that eventually her time in the box would stop and she'd see the light again, breathe fresh air, and stay out of it for at least a little while. But this time, there was no escaping. With the confessions rolling in, the details of Amy's life made it clear that she was allowed anything but a life. According to ABC15, her cousin Samantha confessed to putting hot sauce in Amy's mouth and hitting her with a paddle a paddle that she had named the Butt Buster. This isn't the first time we've seen someone put a name to a weapon of abuse either. It also came up in the Harvey family episode two. Amy was also punished by being forced to walk barefoot on the burning sidewalk until they told her to stop. And I think everyone's made the mistake of walking barefoot on their driveway across the road on a hot summer day. That mistake is usually remedied by hopping on your tiptoes into the grass or back into the house. But for Amy, that was not an option. According to the Phoenix New Times, she was made to do it for up to 10 to 15 minutes. And that was just Amy. The other children in the house were not subjected to the same abuse. They absolutely lived in misery, but Amy was enemy number one. They didn't believe that she was theirs. Her biological mother had reportedly had an affair while she was married to Amy's father, David Deal, and it was believed that Amy was the result of said affair. Nonetheless, David, who lived in the home where she suffered all of this abuse, was the father listed on her birth certificate. Being an outsider in the home, things like hunger got her punished. Getting food out of the refrigerator wasn't a basic human right for Amy. It was seen as an offense. Her punishments ranged from all of the above to being forced to eat dog feces. While all of the other children were sleeping in overcrowded bunk beds in one bedroom of the house, Amy was made to sleep in a shower stall alone with not so much as a pillow or a blanket. According to ABC15, the excuse they made for her sleeping arrangements was bedwetting. Though the Phoenix New Times reports that a witness heard someone screaming at Amy for wetting herself in the shower stall something Amy did in her sleep and had no control over. So to be clear, her actions had no impact on her abuse. Not that there's even a semblance of an excuse whatsoever. Even in their abusive response to Amy wetting the bed, she was still verbally annihilated for doing it in the shower stall. Hey guys, do you ever lay in bed at night wishing you could go to the Willy Wonka Candy Factory? Unfortunately, not all dreams can come true, but let me introduce you to the next best thing nuts.com. In addition to an amazing selection of nuts, they have tons of classic candies like butterscotch, fudge, and licorice. Nuts.com is your one-stop shop for freshly roasted nuts, dried fruit, sweets, pantry staples like specialty flowers, and more. Their huge selection means there's something for everyone. And in my case, several somethings. Nuts.com also offers plenty of gluten-free options, organic choices, and other diet-friendly products. Whether you're looking for something sweet, savory, or just need to stock up on everyday cooking essentials, you're bound to find something to try. And at Nuts.com, quality is a top priority. They roast their nuts and pop their corn the same day it ships, so they arrive deliciously fresh. Satisfaction is guaranteed. A couple of my favorite Nuts.com goodies are their honey sesame sticks because I have never met a sesame stick I didn't love and their honey mustard pretzel pieces are out of this world. So fresh, so delicious. They also dropped a holiday line and I cannot wait to try their white chocolate peppermint fudge and chocolate mint cookie bites. Shop a la carte anytime or opt into hassle-free auto deliveries so you never run out of your favorite items. And if you're already stocked up at home, they also sell directly to businesses. Right now, Nuts.com is offering new customers a free gift with purchase and free shipping on orders of $29 or more at nuts.com slash bigmad. So go check out all of the delicious options at nuts.com big bigmad. You'll receive a free gift and free shipping when you spend $29 or more. That's nuts.com slash mad. Most of the adults in Amy's family failed her miserably, but not all of them. Amy was a fatal victim of child abuse, but there were heroes out there who did in fact try to step in and save her. The family had lived in Utah prior to moving to Arizona, and according to AZ Family, when she was in school there, teachers noticed that she was coming in dirty and would have frequent bouts of head lice. One day when she came into school with cat pee in her shoe, a counselor took it upon herself to clean her up and got her some new shoes. Unlike the adults at home, the staff at Amy's Utah School loved and valued her. Her second grade teacher told AZ Family that Amy was bright and inquisitive and craved the attention of adults, which is so common in children of abuse. When you're constantly worried about when an adult is going to wreck your day, you crave the opportunity to please them and any other adult in your life. Sometimes it's just because you're trying to anticipate the inevitable and hope that if you can impress them beforehand, it might not happen. And sometimes it's just because you're hoping there's one adult who doesn't see you as a disappointment and a failure one tiny sliver of hope that you're not broken, and it's possible that someone out there might love you, let alone like you. When the only consistency of your life is the effort to make you feel like a complete inconvenience, even the smallest wins feel gigantic. For example, when an adult gives a normal child a high five, it feels like a high five. But when an abused child gets a high five, it is completely different. It feels like they're winning a gold medal in existing. Being an adult who can remember that is a luxury because when you research cases like this, you are painfully reminded of the fact that too many abused children aren't given the luxury of growing up at all. And I know I sound really pissed off right now and it's because I am and this case has been really hard for me to research or cover it all. I put it off for weeks but her case is one that deserves to be told. Initial coverage of this case reported that there had been no reports of abuse when it comes to Amy's family, but that was false. It's what the media was told, but it was not the truth. Those teachers in Utah, and from comments I've been able to find, family of Amy's friends also made reports, but that was all in Utah and CPS doesn't communicate across state lines. When people who filed the reports checked on the status of the case, they were told that the family had moved And it was that easy. Amy's family got the hell out of whatever state they were in to avoid further investigation, which is complete shit. Not only should there be a national database that collects all-founded reports of child abuse, if you're abusing a child, let them fucking go. Amy's family got a clean slate in a new state and no one outside of that house knew the horrors Amy was living through because they had pulled her out of public school and started homeschooling her. And I use that term loosely. We've seen this in countless cases when it comes to child abuse. Teachers and school administrators start noticing warning signs and the family pulls them away from anyone who might save their child. The homeschooling was done by Grandma Judith in the non-air-conditioned garage that Amy and the box she was found in were at. According to AZ Central, when investigators searched the garage, they found a folder assigned to each child in the home. Amy's folder contained pages and pages of handwritten notes that she had had to write as punishment. The only thing she was learning in that garage was the repeated sentences reminding her that she was nothing more to them than a disappointment. Some of the sentences read, I will not steal food from the little ones. I will answer when talked to. I will learn to clean my room. These sentences would have been a constant reminder that the clock was ticking down until the next time. With Samantha, John, Cynthia, and Judith in custody, all the children in the home were removed by CPS. AZ Family reports that a dog, who was taken care of far better than Amy was, was taken to the Humane Society and adopted by a staff member. The police department acknowledged that there was an indication that Amy may have suffered abuse prior to their move to Arizona. According to AZ Central, court records confirmed that Amy was listed as an abused, neglected child which is enough to steal the breath out of your lungs. There was a document in existence with those words listed beside her name, yet she was still living in the care of those who had given her file those notes. That file was some of the only documentation of Amy's existence. The photo of her plastered across news stations looked like a very outdated school picture. A few photos from other family members eventually came out, but for the most part, no one cared enough about her to be bothered to take a picture. A sergeant from the Phoenix Police Department stated, This child died at the hands of those who were supposed to love and care for her, adding, this case has turned the stomachs of some of the most seasoned detectives. We know from earlier in this episode that Amy's father is David Deal and that he lived at the home where Amy was killed. But at the time of her death, no one seemed to be able to figure out who he was. Reports stated police were trying to narrow down who her actual parents were since Aunt Cynthia was her legal guardian. But it was 51-year-old David Deal who, according to the Phoenix New Times, was one of the tentants in the backyard. You might be holding on to hope that maybe he wasn't privy to the abuse his daughter was suffering in the house and that he was about to champion for his daughter. But let me assure you, he is not a hero. The outlet reports that instead of organizing protests outside of the jail, begging for CPS change, or even giving a single ass of a rat, he instead asked friends and family for money so he could bail his mom and sister out of jail. Thankfully, the tent king himself wasn't able to reach his criminal crowdfunding goals. With the public painfully aware of who Amy's father was, her mother stepped into the public on her own. 38-year-old Shirley Deal spoke with AZ Central and said that she had fled the home because it was abusive, leaving her daughter behind. She told the station that she was a slave to them and had to do everything, they wouldn't do nothing. That they sat on their asses, would call her names, and make her stay up all night. The story of her exit from the home of Swamp Goblins is a little hairy, I've seen a bunch of variations from her being kicked out of the home where they lived in Texas, which was before they moved to Utah, to her being afraid for her life because she wanted to leave with her kids, so she left without them. I'm having a hard time not sharing my opinion here, so I'll leave you with the fact that during that interview with AZ Central, she told the media that she met a guy online and went to where he lived. She told the station that he was a good guy who cut down trees for a living and that she cooks and takes care of the house something Amy deserved to get the chance to enjoy. Shortly after Shirley spoke to the public, so did a man named Kenneth who claimed that he was Amy's real father. He told KDKA that he raised Amy for about four years until Shirley left Pennsylvania, another state to add to the list of places Amy had lived in her short 10 years. He told AZ Family that he tried keeping in touch with Amy, but the frequency of the deal's family moves made it difficult. He claimed that every time he'd get close to Amy, they would move. He listed Wisconsin, Utah, Texas, and finally Arizona, and we know that Pennsylvania was mentioned before that. When he was talking to the station, he had Amy's birth certificate, hospital prints, and a lock of her hair. All things the parent would hold onto, yet somehow, her aunt Cynthia was her legal guardian. On August 10th, 2011, Samantha and John were both indicted on charges of first-degree murder, conspiracy to commit child abuse, and multiple accounts of child abuse. Cynthia and Judith were also indicted on multiple counts of child abuse. Despite all of their confessions, each one of them pleaded not guilty. While Amy's abusers were busy trying to distance themselves from any responsibility for what they'd done to her, her teachers in Utah held a memorial. Amy died in Arizona, and it was teachers across the country who were making sure that at least her spirit knew that there were people who cared about her. A woman in Phoenix also created a Facebook event encouraging people to buy children popsicles in Amy's honor. She asked that if you couldn't buy a popsicle, you light a candle for her. Two months later, the whole ass governor called in the director of CPS and essentially asked him what in the froot fuck was going on. Another child, a six-year-old named Jacob Gibson, had died at the hands of his abusive parents. CPS had started investigating reports of Jacob's abuse when he was only a year old and had received five complaints in the previous four years of his life, yet no one saved him. According to the Phoenix New Times, the county attorney stated CPS has proven itself incapable year after year in dealing with children who are victimized. They don't remove children that they should, and those children wind up dead. We're not going to do this anymore. A task force was put together to overhaul the system, and that progress seems to be debatable depending on who you ask. AZ Central reports that caseworkers had up to 150 cases each at the time of Amy's death and now have 12 to 15. The reported 16,000 case backlog was only 280 by 2016. The potential hours-long wait time to get an answer on the child abuse hotline was down to a 28-second average. I've seen conflicting reports that not enough has been done to prevent this from happening again. But I do have to say that in reporting on so many of these cases, this is one of the most effective overhauls I've ever seen. In some cases, it feels like you have to pull teeth in order to even get a state agency to admit that there was a problem in the first place. Hey guys, I'm a skincare and makeup queen. It's the only thing that I'm super picky about when it comes to quality, but the price tag always gets me. I have a hard time justifying the cost when it comes to getting the quality that I want, but I recently found a skincare life hack that I refuse to gatekeep. Enter Brandify. Did you know that whether it's sold at a Spokane Walmart or a Soho Boutique, beauty brands share the same handful of manufacturers and factories? Basically, this means that regardless of where you're getting your products, there's a solid chance that they're very similar formulations at insanely different price points. Brandify learned about this and did something about it. They partner with world-class chemists, dermatologists, and the same manufacturers of the prestige brands you love to formulate cult favorites without the hefty markup. No middleman, no high price tag, no marketing hype, just affordable quality because you deserve it, ma'am. You deserve it. Also, sir, you deserve it, sir, as well. Brandify creates luxury alternatives inspired by brands like Drunk Elephant, Skinceuticals, Sunday Riley, and more. Brandify's best-selling Clinical Vitamin C Plus E Plus Ferulic Defend Serum costs $133 less than the industry's gold standard. Brandify is so confident in their ability to produce a product at the quality you deserve that they offer a 100 days, 100% guarantee. If you're not satisfied, with your Brandify products, you can return them within 100 days for a full refund. Their products are 100% cruelty-free, as they should be, and packaged as sustainably as possible to, you know, preserve the precious goop and protect the planet. They also have this amazing app, which I'm kind of obsessed with and so excited to tell you about, where they help you save even more money on your beauty products you just go on their app which is the brandify apt pick the makeup you know you love but don't love the cost of and they compare it to other beauty alternatives through real reviews and unbiased opinions from makeup and skincare shoppers just like you i recently did this with a bronzer that i couldn't justify the price of anymore and they nailed it i found one that was way cheaper and it is now my go-to Go to brandifyskin.com slash bigmad and use discount code bigmad for 20% off your order, which will auto-apply at checkout. That's brandifyskin.com slash bigmad and use discount code bigmad for 25% off. That's b-r-a-n-d-e-f-y-s-k-i-n dot com slash bigmad. The justice system moved at the speed of jack shit when it came to justice for Amy, but when it did move, it was a freight train. In January of 2012, prosecutors announced that they were seeking the death penalty for Samantha and John, noting the especially heinous, cruel, and depraved manner in which she was killed. The following month, another one of Amy's adult cousins, who unfortunately won't be named, was the fifth person arrested in connection to Amy's abuse. According to the Phoenix New Times, a probable cause statement says she reportedly admitted to abusing Amy prior to her death. One of the things she reportedly admitted to was using hot sauce to ruin Amy's meals, dousing it, quote unquote, so strong that you couldn't bear to be close by or your eyes would burn and water. Amy was punished for being hungry, But her meals were either unbearable or inedible. Her hunger was their fault and she was abused for it. A witness also stated that the cousin would sometimes keep Amy outside at night, hooked up to a dog collar and chain. They also said she'd punish Amy for lying by scrubbing her face with a wire brush. The Phoenix New Time also reports that she confessed to locking Amy in a dog crate starting all the way back in 2005, which would have been when she was only four or five years old. The charges against her were dropped in 2013 because according to Fox, prosecutors stated they didn't have enough evidence to proceed. But just wait, justice is coming. Five months after the fifth arrest, a sixth one came, and this time, it was none other than Amy's father-not-father, David Deal. Like Cynthia and Judith, he was also charged with child abuse and kidnapping. I cannot confirm nor deny that he was trying to get the hell out of Dodge, but dude was pulled over and taken into custody while driving a loaded U-Haul. According to the Daily Mail, he'd been living in an apartment with his girlfriend, who happened to have the same last name as Samantha and John, so the family tree is starting to look like a drunk circus. David continued to deny being Amy's father and felt it appropriate to state that Amy had mental problems. There is not a villain in sight with even a hint of redeeming quality here. These people are the reason the term lock them up and throw away the key was invented, They're the kind of people who deserve a cell below the jail and the argument for why you should have to get a license to be a parent. Two painstakingly slow years later, Amy's aunt Cynthia pled guilty to two counts of child abuse and one count of attempted child abuse. Four days after that, David followed suit, pleading guilty to attempted child abuse for an incident prior to Amy's death. According to Seattle P.I., he admitted to putting Amy in the box a year prior to her death and I shit you not, throwing that box in a fucking pool. I don't know how this isn't an attempted murder charge. Amy didn't die when she was put in the box and thrown in the pool, and she didn't die when she was put in the box and rolled around. She escaped death over and over, and frankly, I don't think you should get the gift of a lighter sentence because your victim managed to not die. Cynthia was sentenced to 24 years in prison with a lifetime of probation. David was sentenced to 14 years. Grandma Judith also pled guilty to attempted child abuse and was sentenced to 10 years with also a lifetime of probation. It took four more years and an endless number of rescheduled court dates, but in June of 2013, six years after Amy's murder, Samantha's trial finally began. And the following information comes from the dedicated coverage of this trial done by reporter Lori Roberts with AZ Central. When Amy had no one in attendance for her, Lori Roberts was there every single day, pouring her heart and soul into this coverage, making sure the world knew who Amy was. In opening statements, both the prosecution and the defense stated that the outcome of her trial would come down to whether or not she told John to get Amy out of the box before she moseyed on to sleep that night, a box that had been not only shut, but padlocked. The jury was warned that their emotions could not play a role in how they decided the outcome of this trial, but that's a hard pill to swallow when you're faced with the aftermath photos of Amy's death, and this is going to be extremely hard to hear. Amy had sweat and soiled herself inside of that box before slowly suffocating. There was just under an inch of liquid pooling at the bottom. Her body kept the shape it was forced into in that box with her head forced down to her chest, her knees pulled up to her chest and her hands frozen by her shoulders in a clawing position. Amy's sister, who was less than two years older than her, testified that she had lied to police on the day Amy was found telling them Amy had fallen asleep while she was hiding. She said she lied to the police to protect her family and figured if she lied, she'd be able to go back home faster. Mind you, this was a child. She said no one had played hide and seek that night and Amy hadn't stolen that popsicle. She, her brother, and Amy had been given popsicles for doing their chores. For reasons beyond any rational comprehension, Amy was yelled at for having it. She testified that on the night of Amy's death, Amy was forced to stand against a wall with her head back and her hands up. Once that punishment ended, the family ate dinner, but it was a dinner that Amy wasn't invited to. While the rest of the family was eating, Amy was forced to get into a backbend position where they made her stay for hours. Her sister testified that Amy cried, saying how much it hurt. When she would fall, John would pick her up by the waist and make her start all over again. Another witness, Amy's younger cousin, who was 16 at the time, recounted a day when she came home to find Amy locked in a dog crate. The cousin let Amy out, but was forced by David Deal to lock her back in the crate. A 16-year-old was forced to participate in the abuse of the 10-year-old cousin she was trying to help. She said she stood there crying as David told her, you are not supposed to let her out. Amy's brother told a detective that Amy had, at one time, been locked in the trunk of a car overnight. He, too, had also been locked in a trunk, but only for two hours. A child should never have to downplay their abuse by saying they were only locked in a trunk for two hours. According to ABC, the prosecutor said that after the children in the home were interviewed, the common theme was, Amy is bad, Amy lies, Amy steals, Amy is not allowed to play. That was the mantra repeated through the words and actions amongst the countless adults in her life and the actions of children who did not know any better and were suffering as well. Children who shouldn't have to live with the guilt that the family forced on them when they were too young to know any better. Amy's hours-long backben was the last time any of the children in the house saw her alive. According to the reporting by AZ Central, John and Samantha painted tiny cars they built in the living room while Amy's abuse continued. Sometime between midnight and 1:30 a.m., Amy was put inside of that box, a box that was at one point used to store her sister's Barbie doll collection, but the collection got too big. Barbies were given more consideration in that home than Amy was. A video was played of an interview Samantha did with police where she admitted to knowing that Amy had been put inside the box, but she said there was never an intent to kill her, that John planned to get her out, so Samantha went to sleep. However, she had apparently hidden the key to the padlock on that box in her bedroom so no one could find it and let Amy out. You know, like her cousin tried to let her out of the dog crate all of those years ago. If I had to guess, that was the moment in the trial where the jury made their decision because on July 5th, Samantha was found guilty and eligible for the death penalty. Hey guys, I talk to a lot of you, whether it's in our lives or on Instagram or the Big Bad True Crime Facebook group, and I know that a lot of you have talked about wanting to start your own true crime podcast or somehow work for a true crime podcast in the future, whether it's helping with research or writing. Well, I've got some good news for you. Well-known true crime podcast researcher and writer Haley Gray and her partner, Andrea Marshbank, have teamed up to create true crime podcast training. True crime podcast training prepares you to become true crime podcast researchers, writers, and hosts with 100% online coursework taught by leading true crime professionals. I have worked with both Haley and Andrea and can 100% vouch for that. Benefit from renowned true crime researcher and writer Haley Gray's seven plus years of experience working alongside true crime podcasts like this one, Moms and Mysteries, My Favorite Murder, Detective Perspective, and more. Her specialty is victim-centered and ethical true crime, which is central to the TCPT curriculum and something that is very close to all of our big mad true crime hearts. And speaking of curriculum, True Crime Podcast Training's curriculum was designed by veteran educator and licensed teacher, Andrea Marshbank, who has worked for me, Southern Fried True Crime, the first degree, and more. Whether you're seeking a full-time career or a side gig, at True Crime Podcast Training, you'll learn to navigate databases, AI, and other technology tools that are essential to the true crime podcast field. I know for me, I never thought I'd ever get any help on the podcast because I didn't trust anyone to research up to my standards, but Haley and Andrea proved to me that it is possible to find someone who cares about the ethics, facts, and details as much as I do. Hiring someone through word of mouth can be tough, but knowing they were taught by two people that I trust to cover cases the way I would that means something. If you're thinking about working in true crime, check out True Crime Podcast Training's online programs at truecrimepodcasttraining.com today. That's truecrimepodcasttraining.com. If you decide you want to take the plunge into their online courses, promo code BIGMAD will save you $150 off your course. That's truecrimepodcasttraining.com, promo code BIGMAD for $150 off your course. John's trial began on October 30th of 2017 and was of course covered by a very dedicated Lori Roberts of AZ Central. One of the most powerful points made in opening statements was all of this over a popsicle. His trial was essentially a replay of Samantha's, except that he was the one putting Amy in the box. The defense tried to discredit one witness by saying they'd been using meth, which one, is not a shock, and two, only makes this situation worse. Someone with meth was there to witness Amy's abuse. The defense also claimed that John was being manipulated by the adults in the home who were playing him like a fiddle. Right, like a whole-ass fiddle as he painted toy fucking cars and forced a 10-year-old into an hours-long backbend before padlocking her into a box, with a lock that he had gone out and grabbed off of the fence. The bullshit arguments were of no avail because on November 8th, he too was found guilty. John and Samantha were both sentenced to death for their roles in Amy's murder. They are the first couple to ever be sentenced to death in Arizona history, and that is the only record they are ever going to break. At his sentencing hearing, John had people in tears over his impending death, while Amy only had reporters and the prosecutor in her corner that day. No one was there to cry over Amy. In the years since, Samantha and John have both tried and failed at their attempts to appeal their sentences. Amy was a child I wish I could go into more detail about. I wish I could tell you about her favorite color or that she loved horses and bows and wanted to be a veterinarian when she grew up, but Amy never got a chance to even think about her future. She was forced into a minute-by-minute existence where the goal could only be to get through the day. She didn't get to have dreams. She didn't get to think about what she wanted her life to look like in 10 years. She didn't even have someone willing to take a picture of her. And all of this is to say, please give every last fuck you have. If you even so much as sense that a child might be being abused, call someone. Call everyone. Call the police. Call social services. Call the school. Call anyone and everyone you can think of and then call back. If it's nothing, then no harm, no foul. But on the off chance it is something, you might be the only person who's answered the silent prayers that child says at night. You're the faceless person they picture who swoops in and takes them away from the constant nightmare they're living through. You're the person who proves to them that they're not the problem, that they don't deserve what's happening to them, and there are people out there who care. If you suspect a child is being abused, Please contact your local police department, your local social services, or you can contact the National Child Abuse Hotline at 1-800-422-4453. You can also text them at the same number or chat with a representative on their website at ChildHelpHotline.org. For all photos pertaining to this case, check out Amy's highlight at the top of my Instagram profile at the Heather Ashley. We go live regularly on TikTok to discuss all episodes and all other true crime on your mind. So follow me at the Heather Ashley and tap on the bell icon so you'll be notified when we go live. If you love the podcast, feel free to leave a review. It makes my day every time. And if you have a case you'd like to hear covered, share with Big Mad True Crime on social media because all cases are covered by listener request. I'll be bringing you a brand new case next week, and I cannot wait. But until then, we out. <laughs> We are officially at the end of this episode, and it was a really hard episode, and it's time to share a review that made my whole ass day because we need something positive in this day. This one is from Jaguar April and says, crazy how this all started with a friend mentioning a podcast you did about someone I'm unfortunately related to and how I was hooked day one. I went back and listened to every podcast from the beginning. You are a beacon of light in the darkness of this world. Never stop being you. K love you bye, April. April, you're my favorite person of the day. This was a really hard episode to get through. And at the end, I asked my husband to text me a positive review and yours is the one that he sent. My heart goes out to you regarding the case that you mentioned. I adore you and I'm so grateful you took time out of your day to say something nice to me. It means the world. Kill if you buy.